my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me. Friends, today we're going to begin an exploration of the book of Colossians. So as we always do when we begin to explore a new book in the New Testament, we want to get our bearings and figure out where we are in history. The central event of all of human history, but particularly when it comes to studying the New Testament, is the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ around AD 33. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, was converted not long after, perhaps a few months, maybe as much as a year or two after Jesus' death and resurrection. And as you follow Paul through the book of Acts, you see Paul go on several missionary journeys. Now, it's the third missionary journey where Paul spends three years in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is one of the major cities of the ancient world, one of the five biggest cities, a a major port and trading center. And near Ephesus, about 100 miles away, is the much smaller city of Colossae. Now, while Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus, a man named Epaphras likely came and heard Paul preach while in Ephesus. And it was Epaphras who was from Colossae, and he became a follower of Jesus under Paul's ministry and then returned home and began to proclaim Christ and started a church in Colossae. Now, as we follow Paul through the book of Acts, we know that he gets arrested in Jerusalem and he eventually ends up in the city of Rome around AD 62. Now, while under house arrest in Rome, Paul receives a visit from Epaphras. And Epaphras updates Paul on what's happening in the Colossian church. And it's this update from Epaphras that leads Paul to write this letter sometime around AD 62. And we know that Paul dies likely around AD 65 under a wave of persecution from Emperor Nero. So that's kind of our historical timeline. Let's get our bearings in the book. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter and he wrote it to the church at Colossae, a place that Paul had actually never visited in person. He wrote this likely around AD 62, around the same time as the other so-called prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul's in prison in Rome, and he's writing it to Colossae, a, a city about 100 miles away from the city of Ephesus. And so why? That's always the most important question when we study a new book of the New Testament. Why was this book written? Two primary reasons. One, to confront a series of false teachings that were circulating in the city of Colossae, and to exalt Christ. So let's take a look at some themes in Colossians. The first one is this. Paul really cared about fruit and growth that come from the gospel. So Paul understood the gospel is not just some fairy tale story that made people feel good about themselves. No, the gospel is the saving message of what Jesus has done on our behalf to reconcile us to God. And the gospel is not just another story amongst all the stories of the world. The gospel is the singular story of God's goodness on the move. The gospel is alive and powerful. The gospel is powerful enough to change a person who believes it. And the gospel is powerful enough to change the world as many people believe the story of the gospel. Colossians 1.23 says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Paul says to them, The gospel is bearing fruit 
and growing in their midst. Colossians 1, 6, the gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So this is what we want to do. We want to proclaim the gospel to people. We want to explain the gospel to people so they understand the grace of God truthfully. And as they understand it, as they believe it, then the gospel will take root and begin to bear fruit in their lives. Now, around the city of Colossae, they had uh, a famous amount of fig trees. And so these fig trees grew and bore fruit. And so when Paul talks to the city of Colossae about bearing fruit for the gospel or bearing fruit by the gospel, this would have been a very evocative image for them, that they could have looked out over their city walls and seen, yes, there's fruit in our life, just like there's fruit on that tree. Now, how did the Colossians hear the gospel? Well, they heard it through Epaphras. Epaphras, in this case, was the one who planted the seed of the gospel. Colossians 1, 7 through 8 says, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, the gospel, the day you heard the gospel, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras has faithfully proclaimed the gospel to the church at Colossae. They have heard it. They have understood it. They have believed it. And the gospel has taken root in their heart. And as the gospel takes root, it is producing a harvest of faith, love, and hope. This is what Paul points to in Colossians 1, 4 through 6. He says he's been praying for them, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, so there's faith, and of the love that you have for all the saints, so there's love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So there's hope. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel creates hope in us. Hope not just for us as individuals that I will go to heaven, but hope that God is going to come one day and right all of the wrongs of this sad, broken world. And because I have that hope, I can love the saints. Saints who are difficult. Saints who are often disagreeable, just like I am often difficult and disagreeable. And I can believe in Jesus, not just intellectually believe, but rest all of my weight, all of my hope for salvation in Jesus Christ, because I have hope that God is going to come back and rescue his broken world. Now, all of this talk of seeds being sown and fruit growing, this should remind us of the words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, when he says in Mark 4, 14, the sower sows the word. And then in verse 20, as Jesus is explaining the famous parable of the sower, he says, the seed that was sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Friends, proclaiming the gospel often can seem silly or meaningless, and yet through the power of God, our often fumbling, often confused gospel proclamation bears a harvest beyond our ability to imagine in its fruitfulness. And it happens when God does a work of grace in someone's heart, opening their eyes so that they see the truth of the gospel. God makes the first move. He gives us life. He opens our eyes so that we can see and believe the gospel. And then the Spirit works in us and through us to produce this crop. All of this 
the new hearts, the new eyes, the fruit, all of this is possible through the gospel. And the gospel is how God fulfills the ultimate human need. Friends, the ultimate human need is not food or water or clothing or shelter, as important as those things are. The ultimate human need is the need to be right with God, our creator. This is what Paul was talking about in Colossians 1.22. He has now reconciled. So to reconcile something is to put it back in balance, to put it back in right standing. So he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So this is talking about Jesus. Jesus has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Paul says in this verse that the reason that Jesus died, that's what it means, but in his body of flesh by his death, he died on the cross to reconcile us to God. And not just so that we can go to heaven after we die, friends, but in order that we can live an increasingly holy and blameless life. We're not just saved to go to heaven after we die. We're saved for holiness right now. Now, every other human being on the planet, even those who aren't Christians, know that we are in need of being right with God. And that's why we see a multiplicity of religions around the world. But what separates Christianity from every other religion is every other religion tries to be made right with God through human effort. And Paul kind of gives a hat tip to this in Colossians 2, 21 through 23. He's talking about false teachers, and we'll talk about these false teachers in the next episode, who are coming into the Colossian church, and they're teaching salvation through human effort. Paul says these false teachers come in and say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that perish as they are used. And this is all according to human precepts and teaching. So these false teachers are coming in and saying, you will be saved by avoiding certain things, by doing certain things. And Paul says these rules, verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. It, it seems very religious. It seems like, well, yeah, if you want to go to heaven, you should try really hard to, to avoid bad things and do good things. But Paul says all they do is they promote self-made religion, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Self-made religion. Friends, it doesn't save, it doesn't last. So all other religions say being made right with God comes through human effort. Christianity says it comes through having Christ in us. It comes through being joined to Christ by faith. Faith in his perfect life, faith in his substitutionary death, faith in his victorious resurrection. And when we have that faith, when God awakens that faith in us, then we are made right with God because we are united to Christ. United to Christ. And as we have Christ in us, we are united with him, we are being changed by Christ. Colossians 2, 6-7, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and you received him, friends, by grace through faith, as a gift from God, so walk in him. So we don't get saved by grace and we don't live by the sweat of our brow. We get saved by grace and we live by grace. We walk in grace. We walk in moment by moment dependence on God. Walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. No matter what the religion is called, the attempt to be made right with God through keeping rules is called legalism. And Paul was very familiar with legalism. 
Remember what he said in Philippians 3, 6, as to zeal, Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul had lived a life to the best of his ability to be perfect before God. But when God opened his eyes to who Jesus was, Paul looked at all of his accomplishments. He looked at all of his law-keeping and realized it's worthless. It's worthless. And in that moment, Paul reached his hands out, opened his hands, and God gave him righteousness as a gift through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul knows that this is good news. The news we proclaim is not, God's done most of the work, but you've got to, you know, meet him halfway. Or God's done 99% of the work, but you've got to meet him, you know, give that last 1%. No, the, the news we proclaim, the gospel we proclaim is that God has done everything in Christ. He has done everything in Christ necessary to make us right with God. And all we must do is open our hands and receive the gift. And Paul knows proclaiming this good news is worth suffering. Colossians 1, 24 through 29, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, friends, there's nothing lacking in Christ's death in the sense of what we need for salvation. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions is that God has ordained that the gospel go to all the, the world, all the different people groups, all the different nations, the ethne, through the suffering of his saints. So if we're going to get the gospel to Somalia and North Korea, it's going to come at a great cost. And Paul was filling up what was lacking as he went out and proclaimed the gospel and received persecution for his faithfulness. But Paul says, for this, this goal of seeing people transformed through the gospel, for this I toil. And I love this. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So friends, I, I love that verse because this is what sanctification, this is what gospel faithfulness looks like. It looks like toil, right? Hard work, struggling. And yet the struggle and the toil is fueled by God's energy that he works within you. So we always want to pick one or the other. Is it our own effort. And so we just need to let God, you know, he just sits on the sideline and watches us work. Or do we just you know, need to let go and let God since it's his energy that he's working. And we don't want to be either or we want to be both. And it is both our calling to toil and struggle. And it is the case that it is God's energy working within us that empowers and enables our obedience. So let's be both and Christians, and let's go out and proclaim the power of the gospel, the gospel that can transform a person and the gospel that can transform the world. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to look at the false teachers who had infiltrated the Colossian church and Paul's answer to this false teaching and every false teaching. But for now, friends, take up and read. God bless.